I've been reading a book for the last couple weeks. It's called People Throw Things, Rocks at Things That Shine, A Clergy Whistleblower's Journey by Reverend Beth Caulfield. She was uh, clergy in the greater New Jersey annual conference for several years, trying to go through the ordination process. Had a similar time of it than I did, only she uh, served on the conference staff. She went to various churches, uh, was very programmatically gifted, and uh, now serves in the WCA and has been informing the new culture of the Global Methodist Church. I thought it would be really nice to talk to her and allow people who listen to me to, to learn from her about what's going on in, in some of these bodies that she serves in, what she's currently doing in ministry, and how it is that you can pray for the Wesleyan Covenant Association and Global Methodist Church. Uh, friends, this is Beth Caulfield. Beth, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Hi, Jeffrey, and thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm really uh, appreciative of the opportunity to be on um, a show that's doing a, a lot of great service by getting just so much information out there um, that is, is lacking in a lot of circles. So um, good job with plain spoken truth. And, um, and you know, I, I also, I have to tell you, I've watched several of your episodes. Oh, really? And yeah, and I, you know what I like? I like that you are doing a good job of delving past just the messaging because, you know, there's a lot of messaging happening, which is important too. But uh, you're, you're making sure that um, people get information that they can kind of chew on. So hats off to Thanks. you. And I'm not just saying that. Well, that's I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best. Uh, it's surely not enough, but I, I've really um, and I've said it in maybe one of the episodes you've seen. I just really have a heart for people who feel isolated and alone and just don't know what where to get good information and how to digest the information that they have. That's something that I know you care a, uh, a lot about as well. That's why you wrote this book. Um, you are very aware. Uh, you came out of the world of corporate HR, and then you're you're very aware of these, these larger dynamics. And when you have a toxic system, it impacts more than just one person. It impacts lots of people. And you know that a lot of people are getting chewed up and spit out by this machine, and you're helping to create a, a new machine that hopefully doesn't do that to people in the Global Methodist Church. So I've I've been eager to to see your heart. You know, you come at things from a different angle than than I do, but very similar concern for just normal, God loving people that that get um, uh, that are just up against a big machine. So I I wanted to start I think with talking about what you're doing now what ministry looks like for you because you're no longer with the greater new jersey annual conference um you your book details that whole journey and, and how it ended are you with the wca are you working i have no idea what you're doing yeah sure so uh and, and thanks for asking um so first of all for for those who don't know just briefly uh yeah i um entered the ordination process uh in the global in the west let me try again, in the United Methodist Church and uh, spent eight years in that process. And during that time, I uh, served several churches as well as was called pretty early on onto the uh, bishop staff in a, in a, a director role. Um, I reveal a lot of things in my book about that journey, but uh, during that time, it really uh, came upon my heart that um, there were some real conflicts, um, both theologically, but also what's going on within the 
just the institution and the, the system of the United Methodist Church that um, I didn't find godly. And uh, I was uh, really uh, relieved when I found out that I was not alone and found out about some of the early efforts of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. So I I went to their very first meeting, uh, I think that was in 2017 in Chicago, um, and um, knew immediately that this was an effort that um, um, I believe was spirit-led and, and um, that there was great need for in my conference as well, and that's uh, in greater New Jersey. So I came back and um, um, started a, a chapter with other like-minded uh, traditional Methodist clergy and laity. Uh, we started a WCA chapter here, and um, uh, I was uh, elected president to that, and I uh, have been president uh, up until just this year. Uh, of that. Uh, I also served on the Global Council of the WCA. Uh, I was elected to that in 2019. Uh, and then um, probably part of what um, you're thinking a lot about is um, just prior to being uh, elected to that uh, Global Council, I was part of something called the Next Steps Working Group, which we were a group of uh, 13 clergy and laity from all over the world who sat down and uh, hashed out uh, an early uh, book of doctrines and disciplines for a new denomination. And we were really able to function as a think tank of, you know, if we could start this from scratch, what would it be? Mm -hmm. So I was involved in all those things uh, while at the same time being in a hostile, um, and I have to say that hostile uh, annual conference uh, to traditional clergy like myself. And uh, so I was walking through and balancing um, both um, my ordination process, my ministry to the local church, and starting up something new. And uh, I eventually, uh, and the details are in the book, but I eventually left the United Methodist Church. Um, I have uh, become an elder in the Global Methodist Church, um, but I am not serving a church as of yet here in um, greater New Jersey. Uh, what uh, we are facing as some other areas of the country are, is a very difficult road of getting churches out mm -hmm. of the yeah. United Methodist Church. Uh, we have had a we have a very uh, uh, well. What's been widely reported is maybe the worst um, um, package, if you will, for getting out mm -hmm. offered by the United Methodist Church, and uh, we have had very few churches be able to afford that. And so what we're really looking at uh, right now is as uh, um, churches are trying to get out and are having to look, unfortunately, through legal lenses at that and spending a lot of time on that, is the other option is uh, um, church planting. Mm -hmm. And um, um, as I prayed about it, I don't feel called to be a church planter. Mm. So I am not doing that right now, but what God has done uh, in my life uh, is he really helped me to step back and recognize, 
you know, what, what are we called to do as the church? Mm -hmm. And of course it's to make disciples. Um, but another big piece of it is we talk so much about the culture wars that are mm -hmm. happening right. um, but within the church and, and, you know, in society in general and yeah. so forth. Um, what really um, was impressed upon me is we need to be focusing on changing culture, mm -hmm. never mind the wars of this versus that we need to change overall culture. Mm -hmm. And what was shown to me is, you know, what changes culture more than anything in this entire planet. And that really is um, the film industry mm -hmm. movies. Mm -hmm. It is a wonderful vehicle. Of course, I'm not saying Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ can use that vehicle and that tool. Right. And so um, as I prayed about it, um, you know, after I'd written this book, um, a, a movie came to mind. I wrote it. Um, I, um, it's a Christian film and um, uh, sent it into a competition, uh, won the competition, uh, and am now working with a filmmaker and am going to be uh, producing and directing uh, my movie. Interesting. We're in, uh, it, it, it's, it's with a Christian filmmaker, um, JC Films. He's a, it's Jason Campbell is the head of that. Um, but what, you know, nothing changes culture like movies. And I know I, I said that before, but if you think about how people think about, you know, how they talk, um, what, uh, what, uh, what to wear, uh -huh. <laughs> how to interact with one another, um, what could be a better vehicle um, for reaching as many people as possible than a Christian lens on that? Yeah. And so um, I'm working with that. And I, it, I'm also, um, you know, hoping that there will be much more um, um, interaction and coordination with churches, with the film industry. And that's both, um, getting people watching good Christian films, of course, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but getting more people involved in making them, whether it's writing them or um, uh, acting in them. Um, there's a huge opportunity. Uh, and, and and I'm going way a different direction than I know you were thinking with this interview. But, uh, you know, I would encourage uh, anyone to, to um, you know, take a look at, um, you know, whether it's following what I do uh, on Facebook um, you know, I, we're going to be raising money for movies and so forth. Um, but, you know, I, I, we can give them my email here at the end. I'll be mm -hmm. happy to talk to people more about that. But so right now in this time of waiting with whatever God is doing with the Global Methodist Church mm -hmm. here, really all over the Northeast, but particularly in New Jersey, um, I'm not sitting on my hands. I've been given another uh, project, if you will. Yeah, yeah. The, the quote from Andrew Breitbart is that uh, politics is downstream from culture. And so yeah. the engagement with culture, of course, is absolutely necessary for the church. And of course, the, the church in any time or place cannot help but engage the culture. The question is um, how it goes about doing so. And so I'm thinking of the Niebuhr book, uh, Christ in Culture, and he juxtaposes four or five different ways of, of imagining the church being um, in, in dialogue with culture. And so... Uh, adopting um, uh, storytelling movies is is definitely a form of doing that. Yes. So that makes perfect sense. 
Of course, that's yeah. something that the United Methodist Church was big on as well within the mission statement, um, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And, and of course, the, the thing that really killed it was, um, killed it, like it's not dead yet, but it, the, that really shot that mission statement in the foot was that we couldn't get clear on what kind of disciples we're making and that's what uh, the life of a faithful disciple looked like. Um, you were on this team that drafted portions of the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline. And of course, um, a, a document does not always correspond one-to-one -one with the kind of people that are under that uh, document's organization. Uh, like in the United Methodist Church, the Book of Discipline and its doctrines really are pretty irrelevant now uh, for the kind of leadership they have or the kind of disciples that they're making. But I do wonder... Um, with the GMC starting off and reclaiming, hey, we're going to have some foundational doctrines and documents, and, and our leadership is actually going to abide by it and protect it. Um, I wonder, do you feel like there has been clarity on the ground floor, you and, and the other GMC leadership, about what the difference is between the kind of disciples the GMC wants to intentionally make and what disciples uh, other denominations are making? Yeah, well, it, it's um, it's hard to talk about other denominations, but I can talk uh, with excitement about what uh, the Global Methodist Church mm -hmm. is uh, hoping to do and, and already doing uh, in many places as it's it's really taking off. Mm -hmm. uh, it is is to reconnect uh, this concept of of scriptural holiness back into our disciple making and uh, spreading that all over the land, as well as um, uh, securing justice for, for people out there. You mm -hmm. know, I, and, and I think I want to make sure that, uh, and I know many do, but, you know, a, a lot of times we are um, uh, connected with our emphasis on scriptural holiness, and mm -hmm. that's absolutely important. But we do balance that with, uh, uh, with uh, social holiness. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, social justice is a piece of social holiness, and I don't have to give you that that lesson, but, um, you know, it is not left out. So I, I think it's important to know that that's uh, something that the Global Methodist Church is um, very interested in um, bringing back and helping people practice methodical, practical, and warm-hearted um, love of God and serving uh, as Jesus's disciples. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, uh, we um, are looking to, uh, you know, maintain traditional Methodist beliefs. And, and, and that's both, uh, you know, everything from the doctrine of provenient grace mm -hmm. and the importance of that. Uh, Arminian doctrine and and uh, the understanding that uh, you know we have free will uh -huh. uh, and um, uh, that that yes um, you can lose your salvation and I don't think we talk about that a lot right uh, and also just that we emphasize this amazing abundant life that is available to each of us in this world as we mm -hmm. deepen our experience and relationship with God and and others through God. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, that leads to another thing that doesn't get talked about a lot, but an entire sanctification. Mm. So, you know, these traditional things that um, we now have a freedom in the global Methodist church to openly talk about and right. openly find 
uh, innovative. And there's a word I use that many eschew, but I think it's important. Do progressive ministry, mm-hmm. not progressed theology, mm-hmm. but ministry that really connects with people where they are. Yeah. Yeah, as I'm thinking on Christian movies and the ways in which they push their audience, I haven't seen a whole lot, but, you know, War Room really pushes the importance of daily, regular prayer. And, and, you know, and and also, you know, part of what uh, is important with there is a huge opportunity for Christian movies right now, Mm -hmm. and they need to step up in their quality. And so that's part of um, what's exciting is giving the opportunity for that, because I'm, I'm kind of like you, Jeffrey. I, I haven't watched a whole lot of them myself in the mm-hmm. past, but ones like War Room and others that, you know, Jesus Revolution and a number of others that have come out of late mm-hmm. have just started raising the bar and uh, opportunities through streaming and where everybody is is looking at movies and mm-hmm. the kind of the death of Hollywood right now is is a huge open field um, for uh, for us. And uh, I, you know, I I'm. Uh, uh, I'm just, I'm enthused. I think God's given me some passion here about it. Yeah, I, I'm really eager. So I want to ask you about old school Methodism and, and things that we're holding on to. And you've already alluded to that quite well, actually. You've dropped a number of terms that show, uh, you know, you know what you're talking about. But a depiction of what a modern day, you know, if you if you transplanted John Wesley from the 1700s to today, what things would hold on and what things would change. And of course, that's there's no way to know all of that, but what is one thing really lacking in the public sphere? We, you know, charismatic Christianity is, is quite popular, um, feelings-based Christianity, and it's not that Methodists didn't have feelings. We had great, but we also were quite methodical and orderly and disciplined in our right. daily way of, of glorifying God together and individually. So I I'm really eager to see a depiction of what that looks like, just to say, okay, yeah, there's there's charismatic Christians that every day they're having some dramatic. Uh, well, I shouldn't say anything silly like that, but but what what's another model of what a Christian looks like who really takes their free will seriously and very diligently seeks the Lord day by day by uh, fasting and prayer and searching the Scriptures. Um, I, I'm very eager to see more depictions of that, and I agree with you that that's that's needed because. Well, if you work with um, people coming out of addiction or people coming out of poverty, you can just say, you know, hey, you shouldn't be addicted, but they don't know what that looks like, you know, or <laughs> hey, uh, there's a full life available to you when you're not going paycheck to paycheck, but they don't know what that looks like. They have to have a picture of that. They have to be able to walk around in those shoes for a bit and look at that, at models of, of what that looks like. So I, I definitely see the value in such a an engagement with the culture through film and i agree yeah. with you it was uh, for a long time christian movies i mean they've been around they've just been cringy and you're right that right. the cringe factor really is going down now the quality is going up we're we're telling better mm-hmm. stories in in a better way so the the things i've noticed about early methodism that you've you've brought back up the the original mes- uh, mission was to spread scriptural holiness across the land you directly quoted that the doctrines of prevenient or preventing grace and entire sanctification of uh, free will. These are all things that inform uh, a coherent Methodist Christian identity that really isn't, it's quite anemic in most, in most, not all, but most uh, Christian denominations in America. So 
Um, yeah. I, and, you know, and I think that, that um, even where those places are, are, are mentioned and talked about, uh, another piece uh, that we all can reflect on and do a better job with uh, is holding one another accountable for them. Accountable and discipleship, yeah. Accountable discipleship, as you know, is a, a key piece of the the uh, Global Methodist Church from the get-go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, and uh, I, I come from a background of small groups, right? And um, um, doing that actually at the conference level. But, um, you know, small groups are one piece of holding one another accountable. Um, but it tends to be talked about uh, as something for laity. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some one wonderful small groups out there with clergy as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the emphasis of, of not just being a, a small group, but being a totally transparent accountability group really uh, needs to be revisited in a lot of places. And honestly, I think that one of the downfalls uh, within the United Methodist Church uh, was getting away from that. Um, if we had more people uh, holding one another accountable, mm -hmm. really, and, and, and that includes bishops, uh, and, and I'll talk about, you know, as you know, I talk a lot about very specific systems that need to be in place to mm -hmm. keep people accountable. Um, but even just those holy groups, um, um, keeping the purity of accountability there is so important. I mean, in the end, any institution can go bad. Sure. But yeah. it's not the institution. It's what happens with the people and how they work within the system. I, I am not anti-institutional. I think institutions are, are wonderful. And I, I know that uh, there are those who disagree with me on that. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 don't, I don't fault um, institutions. I, I think that there are times when systems become faulty mm -hmm. and um, become uh, manipulated or exploited um, by bad actors. Yes. I don't think everybody who walks into the church, in fact, I don't think most people who walk into the church who I would think of as a bad actor now started out that way. I think that um, if we aren't held accountable, it's just like, you know, every church would be praying for their pastor, uh -huh. right? Right? Pastors face a lot of things. Uh -huh. we, should be, we should be praying for our leaders within uh, denominations. Uh, as well as they should be holding one another accountable. And yeah, there needs to be um, written out policy doctrine that systematically helps hold them accountable. And uh, unfortunately, uh, those systems, I think were some of them just naive mm -hmm. to uh, what, what became of a lot of the leadership within the United Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and those need to be revisited, and um, I know that's what we're trying to do in the Global Methodist Church. Yeah, one of the main things that I, I'm coming to over and over um, from different angles, one of the things that I think that Methodism in the beginning understood that we don't is, um, well, we kind of do, is the importance of quality control. Um, and so I, I follow a lot of Barry Weiss's reporting. She was she came out of the New York Times whenever they became uh, woke intolerant, 
um, and through the Free Press, which is her news agency now, she and her um, colleagues have have chronicled uh, several institutions that have become compromised in the way that the United Methodist Church has. So they've looked at medical school, law school, the academy more broadly. They've looked at, uh, most recently, um, debate societies. Um, there is... Um, uh, uh, this is the decline in the integrity of institutions to protect themselves against far-left um, ideology, intolerant ideology. It's been very disheartening to see across the West that very few institutions really had the, the self-protection um, structures in place to protect against that. And so one of yeah. the concerns that I and others have is we look at the Anglican Church in North America, which was the conservative breakaway from the Episcopalian Church, or the Presbyterian uh, Church in America, PCA, uh, similar for the Presbyterians, the, the uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. There are far-left um, influences coming in and interrupting the quality of their connections even after they left the far-left institutions that they went away from. So in early Methodism, it was known to happen that John Wesley would go and visit a society where there were disorderly walkers, people who were not interested in, in walking in faith. They were still attending their class meetings. They just weren't growing in holiness. And he would just kick them out and say, you can come back when you're serious. Yeah. I don't hear yeah. anybody talking about that right now within the global Methodist church or, or any institution. That I hear people talking about raising the standards, but I don't hear many people talking about what to do with people who want to be along for the ride but don't want to do the work. And so that's what makes me fearful about, okay, where's the global Methodist church going to be 10, 15 years down the line if we don't have these self-defense mechanisms against disorderly walkers or whatever we want to call them? Mm -hmm. Do you well, feel I'm like? You, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing that up, and and I'll uh, you know I'll take it back a couple of levels on that because I think it is important to talk about the GMC with that and and where it's headed. Mm -hmm. So you know, you talk about downfalls of institutions and and because of of uh, problems within, and I, you know, one of the things that all churches in the U.S. have that is uh, very different than other institutions is that we are completely self-governed, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, the, the First Amendment, uh, as it is used to protect employees in all different situations and so forth uh, with other uh, organizations, does not apply to the church. There's something right. called the ministerial exception, and that's very important. And and um, and thank God it's there. I want to make sure that that's clear to people. That is there so that there truly is a separation of church and state, mm -hmm. and that we are able to govern according to our beliefs. Right. Um, so that's very important. But what that means is we self-govern. Right. And uh, our system for doing so um, has got to be one that is every bit and should be more protective uh, of our uh, clergy people and, and others who work within the church mm -hmm. uh, from um, from bad actors or right. just uh, misappropriation or whatever it is. Yeah. But um, so so I I. I think that part of the the downfall of the United Methodist Church is that we have put all of that responsibility in the episcopacy. Mm -hmm. In the end, it all all the governing 
all the the ensuring that people are treated fairly, um, all those decisions um, come from the episcopacy down. And if there is a complaint, it's handled by your boss. Mm-hmm. If there's a complaint against a bishop, um, well, other the, the way our and I'm not going into the details of it here, um, but the way our systems work uh, inevitably uh, end up with. Uh, if a bishop is uh, found guilty of something inappropriate, there's a slap on the wrist. Right. And so because of the way that situation is set up, there is no outside entity to help someone who's in a bad situation. Well, in- anticipating someone who might argue with you, someone might say, well, like uh, General Commission on Race and Religion or COSRO, they they intervene all the time to protect people against uh, executive uh, abuse. Um, to which you would respond, uh, having read your book, um, no, these these people running these agencies are vulnerable to bishops as well and not eager to get their heads chopped off when they intervene. My That's retort exactly right. alongside that would be, how's that working out for uh, Minerva Carcano right now? Uh, G-Corps and Cosro both intervened on her behalf and still uh, her her case is not she's not getting due process. This is all happening behind closed doors. I think think they're going to quietly dismiss her next year, and there's never going to be justice served. And this this is how a corrupt institution works. The right. uh, a lot of this ties into political theory, though. I follow a lot of libertarians, and what libertarians would say is, anytime you create a structure, you're going to have bad actors take advantage of that structure. So the best thing that you can have is bare minimum structure and maximized transparency so everybody can see what's going on, which goes against the culture of the UMC. The culture of the UMC is all about confidentiality. As soon as something bad happens, it's all hush-hush behind closed doors. you got to trust people behind the... And I think what we found is that that doesn't work. And you talked about Bishop Scholl's tendency to have people sign NDAs. Um, but essentially when you have these things behind closed doors where people are sworn to secrecy and confidentiality, you're going to find abuse of authority. So I've been, I've been eager to think about a future Methodist structure where everything right. is above water, everybody see what's, sees what's going on, and there isn't this obsession with confidentiality and due process. Um, looking back on John Wesley and Francis Asbury, a lot of people would say they were autocrats. There was no due process. There was just, eh, you're in or you're out. And um, nobody wants that, but I kind of do. Uh, because the alternative, as I see it, is some convoluted process that bad actors take advantage of. But you're more optimistic, I think, than I am about whether or not a good system can be designed. Yeah, I I, 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 I do think that there are a couple of key things that can be put in place that will both... Um, put some pressure off of the the uh, uh, system being reliant on completely the episcopacy and mm-hmm. also um, provide more due process and opportunity. And that is you know, what uh, hopefully will be going forward with the global Methodist church. And I'm not saying that it isn't. I, I'm mm-hmm. just saying that it's important that it'll have to go forward and is part of the, uh, uh, the draft um, doctrines and disciplines as they stand now mm-hmm. is a, a complete separation between the Episcopal office and the administration of the general church. So there would be uh, uh, the episcopacy as spiritual leaders 
but uh, uh, a and, and other denominations do this, have a, a separate um, laity-led uh, function that takes care of the business of the church. Mm-hmm. And that would include uh, uh, the um, what I think is important to be adding in there, uh, a, a separate human resources function for clergy. Mm-hmm. Certainly we have things like that in for uh, laity employees. But uh, if your uh, only uh, hope is through your boss mm-hmm. and it's your boss who's picking on you mm-hmm. um, and 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 greater than that, um, that's a problem. Yeah. And you have nowhere as it's set up right now in the United Methodist Church, you have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. You take it and shut up and hope um, to toe the line and get a better appointment or whatever the issue is, mm-hmm. um, or you go away. And a lot of people have chosen, a lot of good people have chosen to to move away. So, uh, you know, that is important. And then also, if you look closely at the doctrines and discipline, again, that's in a, uh, a draft form that has to be approved, um, there's very clear language about holding bishops accountable that they can be um, removed from their office uh-huh. for uh, for conduct that's inappropriate if they're found um, if they're found to be uh, guilty of it uh-huh. uh, in in the the judicial council process. So, so the importance of uh, having a system that uh, separates uh, the administration of the church from the episcopal office. Uh, a system that uh, uh, includes a human resources uh-huh. uh, office for uh, for clergy, a system that um, does have a due diligence uh, process uh, through a judicial council uh-huh. that can hold bishops accountable and remove them from office uh, when they aren't uh, living up to their responsibilities, and uh, and uh, one that also. Uh, has a, a recognition of working and holding one another accountable in clergy, especially uh, in our um, and our uh, souls and our, our spirits. You know, um, one of the things they talk about is uh, the challenge of, and this has become a, a big, uh, I, I don't know, a cultural phenomenon to talk about, but narcissism. Yeah. And narcissism in the in the uh, uh, pulpit is a, it's a very real danger. I sure. think for yeah. anyone who yeah. enters the pulpit. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Uh, if you're getting up in front of people uh, to speak from God and have a message from God there's a whole lot of opportunity for other stuff to go in there and yes. for your heart uh, to to be um, uh, to to be corrupted taken advantage of yeah. corrupt yeah, yeah. and uh, and I think we need to acknowledge that each and every one of us that includes me has a tendency toward that right yeah. we can because of the nature of what we do that yeah. does that mean we're all narcissists but we are vulnerable I guess that's the better word vulnerable and so I, I think some education on that mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and not just about it but how to guard your heart mm-hmm. uh, checking in regularly again through accountable things mm-hmm. uh, whether that's uh, 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 your accountability group or through some formal processes that I think um, you know we, we, we don't like formal um, but 
uh, I, I think that uh, you do need systems in place to help. You know, the, the Global Methodist Church right now is in an exciting place as a startup. Uh-huh. And, and I've been part of startups in the corporate world before, right. too. Yeah. Yeah. And what's most important is get it done. Uh-huh. Get it done and get off the ground. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I, I think that um, we're doing a great job of that in, in some very difficult situations right now. Yeah, it's um, a hard thing. There are a lot of things being kept in tension. You know, so as you're talking about creating systems that guard people better than the systems out of which we're coming, right. that's that's up against a loyalty and a commitment that the GMC has to a streamlined and uh, skeleton crew kind of approach. No bureaucracy right. uh, resembling. So it's, right. and I hear you saying it'll be lay led and, and I don't know if you said the word volunteer, but hopefully there's some volunteer effort in that as well. But it's, it, these are when you're trying to avoid the musculature of a large bureaucracy while simultaneously creating structures that weren't even in place in the previous organization. Right. Those, those are hard things to keep in tension. It's a hard thing to keep in tension, but I think it, it's very important that we do keep um, uh, the, the the recognition of the need of these, especially the separation of powers and, mm-hmm. and ways to hold our leadership accountable, that we not um, shortchange putting them in place when we get the opportunity. And mm-hmm. I see that opportunity is specifically coming at, at, at our first opening conference yeah. when we pass some things. If we bypass that because of some of the other things, then what we're doing is, and, and I'm not at all saying that that we have this in our current leadership, don't, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, right. but we are leaving an open, exposed loophole for um, bad actors wolves to get into the sheep right. pen right yes. you know i mean and and so i i i you know i know you you've you've had um leadership on uh, recently who've uh, talked about the fact that we do not have agencies in the global methodist church uh-huh. um and that is true at the moment but there are some agencies, and there's one that's particular to my heart, which is the Just Ministries Agency that was originally put into our draft um, doctrines and discipline, which is really the area for protecting, right, protecting people. Uh Um, At some point, uh, we need that in there. Uh, And uh, if we don't, then... uh, you, you know, I many times get asked the question of, do I think the Global Methodist Church is just eventually going to end up like other United Methodist Church mm-hmm. and others who have either gone theologically or bureaucratically, institutionally corrupt, however you want to put it, yeah. astray. Yeah. Um, um, if we don't um, follow the wisdom of recognizing that you just can't give everybody, all certain people, all the power. If yeah. certain people get all the power, then eventually um, power corrupts. And so you do need those systems in place. Yeah, it's and- a hard, It's because so much of the Bible is, I mean, when you think about Korah's rebellion uh, and so many of the complaints leveled in Jude, say, um, there there is a clear interest biblically in um, those who hold and carry authority and are given authority, not trust, but authority, by the body of Christ um, to operate um, in in ways that are not the same as the priesthood of all believers, but a, a special called, um, in our court case, ordained 
way. Um, you see that in John Wesley and Francis Asbury, the ways that they took authority and exercised it uh, very powerfully in their given context. Um, it is possible to be so concerned with abuses of power that we don't allow for enough power to be in place to move. You know, when you talk about doing a startup, getting things done, moving quickly. You know, I just told you I've been watching um, Eastern Pennsylvania's annual conference session from May. They couldn't get anything done. Um, and that's partly because there's no trust, but also when you have Robert's Rules of Order and five points of uh, information in a row and nobody knows what motion is on the table or who presented it, um, that's, that's something that I hope doesn't happen in the global Methodist church, but that's what happens, I think, when you have too much uh, democratic um, entitlement and not enough strong leadership. Um, so that's just a counterbalance. It's not meant in a spirit of argument just so much as I do hope we have really strong leadership in the GMC where people don't feel the need to be litigious or suss out every point, but we say that Beth Caulfield, we can trust her if she's pushing in this direction. I don't need to know all the details. I'm going to go with her. But the other thing I, I feel like I have to push on is the culture thing, not the culture of the world, but the culture of the church. And I think a lot of what happened in the UMC is because we created a culture of complacency, of conservatives being silent when they should have spoken up, being more <laughs> concerned with their local church context than they were with the connection, uh, really guilting them into being tolerant of things that they shouldn't be tolerant of. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that there is a, an intentional effort within the GMC to bring about laity and clergy who were less tolerant of uh, darkness, um, yeah, broadly. and I, you know, I, I, and again, that that brings me back to, uh, boy, I'm on on the systematic piece here. Do it, yeah. I part of what the problem has been is that if you spoke up, you would be penalized, mm -hmm. and uh, eventually that really took over uh, on a lot of the theological piece. Mm -hmm. And again, I. I can't speak for the whole country, but I can definitely talk about a lot of what's happened in the Northeast. Uh, even though there was, we're a church, uh, you know, a big tent, everybody knew we were not a big tent. And everybody recognizes that there are limits to uh, what is going to be listened to. So you don't you don't speak up and say foul play when you see a bishop totally manipulating what's going on at annual conference. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you, you don't speak up or file the complaint uh, uh, based on something that your DS did because mm -hmm. the other DSs are right there in the cabinet with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it just goes on and on. Um, so again, if, if, I saw something of foul, uh -huh. and I went to my human resources person, yeah. and the human resources person is is not their paycheck doesn't come from the episcopacy office. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, uh -huh. Their job is to just keep keep us out of uh, keep 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 uh, good employees in place and um, and deal with the ones that need to be gone. And for all you know, I'm the one who needs to be gone in that case, right? Whatever it is, but their job is to ferret it out. Yeah. Uh, without fear of repercussions themselves, and that's sorely missing in the UMC, and um, and I think will be a key component to getting what you're talking about in the global Methodist Church. Where, hey, I'm not afraid to whistle blow. I'm not afraid to stand up and say, yeah. 
you're not following the Bible or right. yeah. whatever it is. Well, I think so. I there's there's the the literal structures in place or the little literal personalities, but there's also this thing of just like social fabric. And when Methodism for so long has been associated with being nice, respectable, mainline culturally, you know, there's holy rollers that will get mean and ugly. There's some, you know, fundamentalists, but you know, we're the polite. You know, I, I'm I'm pushing back against that that social fabric norm where um, <laughs> playground for wolves among the sheep. Yeah. So yeah, there was when you should have been presented at the clergy session of your annual conference, there was a bold elder who cried out, Beth Caulfield should be up there. Um, okay. It was just one voice. It should have been a hundred, you know? And at this last annual conference that Shoal, uh, I'm going to play this clip when we record next week, but they ran out of time. They couldn't approve the budget. And he's just like, we're up against it. We, we can't do it anymore. And some lady from the back calls out, this is why people are leaving your church. And of course, you know, that has a certain class element to it that's kind of embarrassing. But within the GMC, when there are things that are obviously wrong, if we carry the culture over from the UMC, whether or not they're afraid of uh, uh, retribution from bishops, so many people are going to remain silent because they feel that social pressure not to rock the boat, not to be disagreeable. And one of the things that's rare about you is you're not afraid to be disagreeable, but you, you have to know at this point you, that's an exceptional trait um, for people. And so how, how do we foster these exceptional traits in people that they're not naturally inclined to have, even if the, the structure allows for it? Um, that's, that's, that's something that I'm going to be praying for with the GMC. I hope that there are leaders at the convening conference, not who are screaming from the back mean things, but people who are naming of threats as they see them so that they don't get the can doesn't get kicked down the line for decades the way it did in the UMC. I wanted to share three quotes from your book that I really thought were very helpful and just get any sure. any response to it. This is on page six, right at the beginning. Hiding behind zealousness, the zealousness for achieving a newly directed version of inclusive Methodism is a cadre of bad actors who exploit systems within the church for personal gain and power. I submit that those bad actors are less interested in the theologically progressive or even centrist agendas they proclaim than in maintaining a privileged and legally entrenched system that they can continue to manipulate for their own personal interests. I thought that was just so concise and, and helpful. How much do you think that that carries over into other institutions, and then how much do you think was just particular to the UMC? That's a hard question. It's a good question. Um, I, you know, I mean, what I can say is, again, from from personal experiences, I, I, I saw it a lot in the UMC, mm -hmm. and and I I really, and again, that's it's my belief that it the theological wars were actually kind of uh, a, a smokescreen. <laughs> A wonderful smokescreen mm -hmm. that, um, whether intentional or not, and sometimes you know, I I, I feel there was some intent there, mm -hmm. um, but uh, really hid uh, what was going on, which is there are people who are, who are in um, just taking advantage of things for their own power mm -hmm. uh, and um, other uh, other. Uh, ways that they could uh, benefit 
Yeah. And, um, you know, as far as uh, other institutions, I'm sure that happens. I'm Mm -hmm. sure it does. Yeah, you Um, came out of the corporate world before wokeism really took off. Um, I don't know if you've heard the name Vivek Ramaswamy, but he's he's actually running for president. He wrote a book called uh, Woke Inc. He's a very um, successful uh, venture mm-hmm. capitalist. And he chronicled in corporate culture in America how it is that wokeism became ascendant. And um, these left-leaning values that seemed so tolerant on the front end actually instituted a culture of intolerance of, of any right-leaning voices. So um, right. that that's just... In the cultural milieu, as we're talking about buzzwords and concepts, that's something that's just in the water right now that seems very real to me. Here's another uh, quote on systems and people. This is on page 189. I do regret the hopefulness I maintained that I would eventually be treated fairly by the corrupt and unjust power structures in place. This system is led by people not focused on empowering people to do ministry, but on political gain and achieving a focused progressive agenda fixated on achieving approval and celebration from the church for practicing uh, practicing LGBTQIA people. So again, it's this, this interesting dynamic of systems and people and ideology, and the mm-hmm. fact that it only is bent this one direction towards the left. Um, but we, we seem to have covered that pretty well. The final quote was, and this is on page 485, Leaders, churches, and institutions are covenanted. Oh, and this is in the this is what you're driving for in the global Methodist church. I like this language. So ideally in the GMC, leaders, churches, and institutions are covenanted to upholding community where loyalty is demanded firstly and primarily to Jesus Christ and no one else. Truth telling right. is valued and whistleblowers are protected and listened to, thereby amplifying the prophetic voices and the voices of the least of these brothers and sisters. I, I thought that was a good uh, uh, encapsulation of what I heard you to be advocating for. Um, and it's something I personally identify with. I, I very much uh, identify with Jeremiah crying out about against the culture that he's within and loves, and they hate him so much for it. Um, yeah. And that's that's something that obviously the church needs to be engaged into the culture outside of the church. But still, how to, how to have a healthy dynamic within the church where we are calling one another to account, we are directing one another towards Christ Jesus, but we're also not demonizing each other and, and finding and making enemies in the church where we're all on the same side. That's really a hard dance to do. If you look historically at the, you know, how the church has behaved for a couple thousand years, that's a very difficult effort, and it seems to me that our success or failure very much depends on the kind of leadership that we have. So maybe a, a good place to end would be just you um, speaking well of the leadership of the Global Methodist Church and what it is that you're seeing that, that makes you hopeful and optimistic about the near future. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I really am um, excited about where the Global Methodist Church is going uh, I, I look forward to our first general conference and uh, for the uh, the leadership that, you know, I pray every day for the, the bishops we already have in place. 
those who are out there acting as coordinators and uh, and WCA leadership still um, fighting the good fight to get people who want to get out, out and churches out that want to get out of the United Methodist Church. Let's camp out and, on that one line real quick. People who want to get out. The part of the the thing that gets passed around about the WCA that maligns you guys is that you just want to see the UMC burn. You just want everybody to leave, and and I I just wanted to to highlight you don't you're not saying that if people are happy not in the UMC if churches are happy in the, the United Methodist Church please stay with God's blessing. But if they want out, the WCA is here to advocate That's for exactly. them to get out. That's exactly right. And, you know, it's, it's a shame that uh, in a time like this, that there's so much negative language thrown around on, on both sides. But I will tell you that it's not coming from the leadership. Um, leadership won't be leadership within the Global Methodist Church or the WCA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I've seen chances, uh, times of this happening. Um, if you are um, becoming more of the problem with the negativity, you're not going to be a good leader in our in our organization. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for people to see. Yes, we are in a very heated battle and there's some ugly things happening. But uh, the reality is everybody just wants to get on about the business of making disciples of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. being the church to a hurting world that is desperate, desperate. To, to just know that they are loved by a big God. And um, this squabbling uh, over uh, property, uh, over theological differences, which I'm not downplaying is important, uh-huh. um, but it is hurting our witness. Uh-huh. And um, for, uh, you know, there, there comes a point where uh, you, you really have to say, what, what is your goal? And uh, our goal has been simply stated. We want to help people um, in churches get to a place where they can be the ministers that they're called to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that's a good invitation to prayer uh, in solidarity with the WCA, and then um, also just prayers for the GMC that it uh, this startup starts off on the right foot and gets a lot of good things done quickly. Um, are, are there any other final exhortations for, for people who've uh, sat in and listened to us for a bit? Any final encouragements, whether they're still in the UMC or the GMC, or even if they're outside of Methodism altogether, uh, just encouragements for them and what, what you would have them do in response to what we've shared at this time? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that it's important that um, if you're involved with the church, both locally and within your, your districts and your conferences, uh, that you have the courage to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem is, is people don't pay attention to what's being passed in front of them. And then stand up, stand up. I mean, nobody went into... Um, into ministry, but either laity or clergy, either uh-huh. uh, to to uh, for for personal gain beyond uh, abundant life and being a disciple, and uh, and if you really step back and say, what am I afraid of? What you need to be afraid of is um, having to answer someday to, I didn't do what I was called to do, uh-huh. 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 and and that's stand up. So, you know, I I just I know it's hard. I know that there are repercussions for it. 
Um, uh, but in the end, I, you know, my memoir speaks to a lot of things and I'm looking at you right now saying, I do it all again. Mm. Mm. I do it all again. Well, I, one of the anxieties I'm carrying forward and, and, and it intersects very clearly with, uh, what you've just talked about is now that, um, a lot of annual conferences have, uh, let out a lot of conservative congregations, those not congregations, uh, yeah, congregations, then at the end of this year with these final special called conferences, those remaining who are trying to get out are going to have to fight and they're going to have to organize because it's going to be a lot harder for them than it was for us. So that's this last wave. I'm just really hoping that they discover the fight, how to fight in a holy and godly way, in a loving way. And um, to that end, I hope they, they look to models like you as to how it is that you speak truth um, to an institution that doesn't want to hear it. So... Um, if, if, if you've stayed with us this whole time, uh, let me encourage you to, uh, Beth's book really is nice. It's a good book. If you want a good read as to the inner dynamics of the denomination and how some of these institutional forces work, I, I think it's a good, uh, book to have. Um, you've, you've learned in this time what Beth is up to. So she welcomes your prayers, um, as she's a movie maker now, a GMC elder movie maker, our very first one. And That's right. First movie is going to have uh, Dean Cain in it. Really? And, uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I grew up watching uh, that guy every week, a week on Lois and Clark. I love that guy. Yeah, actually, I was just on a, a, a Zoom with him right before I got on with you. No way. I'm going to yeah, beg you yeah, for his contact information. Not really. You, you can hold on to it. But man, I but, used uh, to yeah. love that guy. Yeah, him, uh, generally Hamblin from uh, the West Wing and some other names that you know that we will be advertising. But yeah, uh, uh, it's an it's exciting opportunity to to uh, uh, keep moving forward. And wow. uh, yeah. Yeah, I, before we get off, yeah. I would yeah, love to pray yes. for yes. Uh, just those who are listening and for you, Jeffrey. And um, so if you'll uh, join me, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just um, bless your name for uh, the amazing uh, boldness of those who are out just uh, both spreading the gospel uh, in the face of a lot of difficult things, uh, those who are, are watching programs like this to better inform themselves, and, and uh, may they be encouraged by what they hear. Um, you know, and anything I said that wasn't encouraging, well, may they just forget it. <laughs> uh, and Lord, I just pray that uh, especially a special blessing on Jeffrey and his family as they continue this uh, ministry that I know is uh, a lot of work. Uh, um, but I'm sure uh, a, a lot of, uh, of goodness. And Lord, I just uh, uh, pray for the Global Methodist Church, the WCA, and all those within the United Methodist Church discerning their path. Yes. Uh, may they be bold. Uh, may they be wise. Uh, and uh, may they be just incredibly loving. Yes. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, friends, for uh, joining us for this time. Thanks for supporting Plain Spoken. Feel free to share this far and wide for anyone that you think needs encouragement or could just benefit from some of the, the wisdom that Beth has shared in this time. Um, thanks for your support for me. I really do love doing this, and, and thanks for being gracious with me for <laughs> stupid things I say. Uh, but yeah, let's continue praying together, and, and I'll see you, friends, next time.